Chapter Sixteen of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. Tybalt, gentlemen, good den. A word with one of you, Mercutio. And but one word with one of us. Couple it with something. Make it a word and a blow. Tybalt, you shall find me apt enough to that, sir, if you give me occasion. Romeo and Juliet scarcely knowing what he did sir osborne sprang after dr butts and walked on with him for a minute or two in silence while his brain turned and all his thoughts and feelings whirled in inextricable confusion ah muttered the physician to himself seeing the absent agitated air of his young companion ah you've been making a fool of yourself i see though you've not had much time either the murmuring of the good doctor however did not disturb in the least the young knight's reverie which might have lasted an indefinite space of time had he not been roused therefrom by a smart tap on the shoulder laying his hand upon his sword he turned suddenly round and beheld lord darby who seeing him grasp the hilt of his weapon pointed to it coolly saying not here sir not here but anywhere else you please what would you with me sir demanded the knight not exactly understanding his object though quite ready to quarrel upon any provocation that might occur but a trifle replied the earl you looked at me some five minutes past as if i had offended you in something now that being the case i am ready to make reparation at the sword's point when and where it may suit your convenience but my good lord said dr butts who had turned back this is a mistake how can you have offended this good knight who never saw you till to-day oh the problem the problem my good doctor replied lord darby why does a farmer's cur bark at a beggar and let a ruffling gallant swagger by perchance the knight may not like my countenance my complexion my nose may not please him my mouth the cut of my beard faith neither one nor the other pleases me particularly answered sir osborne at all events my lord if your wish be to quarrel with me i will not balk your humour so say your will and have it oh if that be the case said lord darby and you'd rather be quarrelled with than quarrel the offence shall come on my part fair sir i dislike that scar upon your brow so much that i shall not be content till i make its fellow on your heart therefore when your good humour serves to give me an opportunity of tilting at your nose you will find me your very humble servant nay now my lord cried dr butts i must witness that you have given the provocation for under any other circumstances this gentleman is so situated that twould be mere madness to meet you as you wish if it be provocation he desires cried the earl he shall have a dish of it so cooked as to serve an emperor he is a gentleman i suppose and worth a gentleman's sword your equal in every respect and your better in many replied the knight and in regard to provocation i have had as much my lord as your body may well bear in repayment how do you choose to fight quietly quietly answered the earl a few inches of tough steel are as good as a wagon-load a double-edged sword sir such as we both wear may serve our turn i should suppose and as it may be unpleasant to both of us to make the monster multitude busy with our little affair we will be single hand to hand i do detest the habit of making the satisfaction of private wrongs the public amusement 
we'll have no crowds sir to look on and criticise our passados as if we were gladiators on a stage where shall it be why faith my lord answered the knight as i am a mere stranger here i know but of one place the gardens of my lord of buckingham at the rose are large and i remarked this morning a grove where there must be good space and quiet if therefore you will inquire for me at his grace's dwelling this evening at four of the clock you will find me prepared to receive you lord darby waved his hand for his page to come up who stood chattering with the footboy that had accompanied the knight and taking from him a case of tablets he wrote down the name of sir osborne and the place and hour he had appointed and now fair sir said he i will leave you i shall not miss my hour good doctor your profession has doubtless taught you secrecy and so farewell so saying lord darby walked away leaving sir osborne with dr butts ah cried the physician a bad business a bad business yet it cannot be helped if two people will fall in love with the same woman what can be done but it's a bad business for you if he kills you why that is not pleasant and if you kill him you must fly your country a bad business a bad business but fare ye well don't kill him if you can help it for he's not bad as times go wound him badly then it may be mended fare ye well fare ye well and turning away he left sir osborne not appearing to take much heed of the approaching duel though in reality deeply occupied with the means of preventing it without betraying the trust that had been reposed in him sir osborne was not displeased to be left to his own meditations and plunged in thought he followed his young guide down a narrow lane running between the gardens of york and durham houses i thought sir you might like to take a boat said the boy who was himself completely wearied out with waiting for the night and so brought your worship down here where there is always a boatman to save three miles your worship sir osborne signified his assent and the boat being procured he was soon after landed within a short distance of st lawrence poultney where he was received with great respect by the duke's household and formally marshalled to his apartment two hours still remained to the time of rendezvous which he spent in writing to his father never thinking however of alluding to his approaching rencontre for in truth though not vain either of his skill or strength he had enjoyed so many opportunities of proving both that he well knew it must be a strong and dexterous man indeed who would not lie greatly at his mercy in such an encounter as that which was to ensue in the meanwhile lord darby carried away by passion thought of nothing but his approaching meeting and though he looked upon sir osborne as some knight attached to the duke of buckingham he was very willing to pass over any little difference of rank for the sake of gratifying the angry feelings by which he was possessed he was however very greatly surprised when on presenting himself towards four o'clock at the manor house of the rose he found that the same attendance and respect waited sir osborne maurice a man he had never even heard of as he had seen paid to the duke of buckingham himself two servants marshalled the way to the knight's apartments one ran on before to announce him and with a deference and attention which evidently did not proceed from his own rank for he had not given his name but rather apparently from the station of the person whom he went to visit he was ushered into the splendid apartments which had been assigned to the knight 
sir osborne rose from the table where he had been writing and with graceful but frigid courtesy invited him to be seated which was complied with by the earl till such time as the servants were gone now my lord said sir osborne as soon as the door was shut i am at your service i will finish my writing at my return will you examine my sword tis apparently somewhat longer than yours but here is one that is shorter now sir that is shorter than mine said lord darby have you not another not here replied the knight but this will do if you are satisfied that it is not longer than your own by this passage we shall find our way to the garden privately as i am informed pardon me if i lead the way lord darby followed in silence perhaps not quite so contented with the business in which he had engaged as when he undertook it there was a sort of calm determination in sir osborne's manner that had something in it very unpleasantly impressive and the young peer began to think it would have been better to have sought some explanation ere he had hurried himself into circumstances of which might be unnecessary danger however he felt that it was now too late to make any advance towards such a measure and there too in the knight's cap still stood the identical large sapphire ring which if he might believe his eyes he had seen a thousand times on the hand of his promised wife the sight thereof served marvellously well to stir up his anger and striding on he kept equal pace with sir osborne down the long alley which led from the house into the deep grove near the side of the river the knight paused at a spot where the trees concealed them from the view of the house and opening out into a small amphitheatre gave full space for the deadly exercise in which they were about to be engaged now lord darby said he drawing his sword and throwing down the scabbard before him you see me as i stand and as a knight and a gentleman i have no other arms offensive or defensive but this sword so help me god and so say i replied lord darby upon my honour and following the knight's example he drew his sword cast the sheath away from him and brought his blade across that of his adversary madman what are you about to do cried a stern voice from the wood put up put up and the moment after the diminutive form of sir caesar the astrologer stood directly between them what devil he continued parting their drawn swords with his bare hands what devil has tempted ye ye of all other men destined to bring about each other's happiness what devil i say has tempted ye to point these idle weapons at each other's life sir caesar said lord darby i am well aware that you possess the means of seeing into the future by some method for which scurrilous people hint that you are likely to be damned pretty heartily in the next world so you are just the person to settle our dispute but tell us which it is of us two that is destined to slay the other and then the one who is doomed to taste cold iron this day will have nothing to do but to offer his throat for depend upon it only one will leave this spot alive talk not so lightly of death young lord replied the old man for tis a bitter and unsavoury cup to drink as thou shalt find when thy brain swims and thy heart grows sick and thine eye loses its light and thy parting spirit reels upon the brink of a dim and shadowy world but i tell thee that both shall leave this spot alive though if any one remain upon this sword full surely it were thyself for thou art as much fitted to cope with him as a sapling with the thunderbolt of heaven 
but listen each of you i adjure you state what you demand of the other and if after all ye be still bent upon blood blood ye shall have but full sure i am that now neither fool knows what the other seeks both the antagonists stood silent gazing first on each other and then on sir caesar as if they knew not what to reply and both feeling that there might be some truth in what the old man advanced at length however lord darby broke forth god's life what he says is true sir osborne maurice what do you seek from me speak speak cried sir caesar turning to the knight who seemed to hesitate speak if the generous blood of a thousand noble ancestors be still warm in your veins be candid and, and charge him like a man sir osborne's cheek burned the quarrel is his own seeking said he but what i have to say i know not how to speak without violating the confidence of a lady which cannot be and i will speak for you said sir caesar lord darby he demands that you shall yield all claim and all pursuit of lady constance de grey this is his demand now for yours oh if i am deceived in you woe to you and yours for ever i can scarcely suppose replied the earl with bitter emphasis that such be this knight's demand when i see the ring of another lady borne openly in his bonnet a lady that shall never be his so long as one drop of blood flows in my veins this ring my lord replied sir osborne taking it from the plume of his hat was only trusted with me as a deposit to transmit to the person to whom it originally belonged claiming his advice for a lady whose affianced lover was as report said about to wed another sir caesar i give it unto you for whom it was intended faith i have been in the wrong cried lord darby extending his hand frankly to sir osborne in the first place pardon me sir knight for having insulted you and next let me say that in regard to lady constance de grey i have no claim but that of kindred upon her affection and none upon her hand father if you can show that your rank entitles you to such alliance none will be happier than myself to aid you in your suit though let me observe without meaning offence that the name of sir osborne maurice is unknown to me except as connected with the history of the last reign and now sir having said thus much doubtless you will explain to me how that ring came into your possession and by what motives lady katrine bulmer could have induced to confide her most private affairs to a gentleman who can be but an acquaintance of a month most willingly replied the knight and after detailing to lord darby the circumstances which we already know he added the letter of which i speak is still in my possession and if you will return with me to the house i will deliver it to you as i cannot doubt from what you say that the report of a marriage being in agitation between yourself and lady constance de grey originated in some mistake faith not a whit cried the earl the report is unhappily too true the lord cardinal whom we all know to be one degree greater than the greatest man in england has laid his commands upon me to marry my cousin constance although both my heart and my honour are plighted to another and has equally ordered my cousin to wed me although her heart be very like fully as much given away as mine however never supposing we could think of disobeying he has already sent to rome for all those permissions and indulgences which are necessary for first cousins in such cases 
and on my merely hinting in a sweet and dutiful manner that it might be better to see first whether it pleased the lady he replied meekly that it pleased him and that it pleased the king which was quite enough both for her and me this information did not convey the most pleasing sensations to sir osborne's heart and in a moment there flashed through his mind a thousand vague but evil auguries danger to constance herself the ruin of his father's hopes the final destruction of his house and family and all the train of sorrows and of evils that might follow if wolsey were to discover his rash love hurried before his eyes like the thronging phantoms of a painful dream and clouded his brow with a deep shade of thoughtful melancholy fear not osborne darnley said sir caesar seeing the gloomy look of the young knight this cardinal is great but there is one greater than he who beholds his pride and shall break him like a reed nor in this thing shall his will be obeyed believe what i say to you for it is true i warned you once of coming dangers and you doubted me but the evils i foresaw fell upon your head doubt me not then now but still i see fear sits upon your eyelids come then both of you with me for in this both your destinies are linked for some time together spend with me one hour this night and i will show you that which shall ease your hearts and he turned towards the house beckoning them to follow i suppose then your lordship is satisfied said sir osborne taking up the scabbard of his sword and replacing it with the weapon in his belt as the astrologer moved away i should be more satisfied said lord darby laying his hand on the knight's arm with a frank smile if you would confide in me indeed i have no title to pry into your secrets he added nor in those of constance either though i think she might have told me of this yesterday when i made her a partaker of all mine however i cannot believe that the profound reverence in which all the duke's servants seem to hold you can be excited by the unknown sir osborne maurice besides sir caesar called you but now osborne darnley can it be that i am speaking to the lord darnley who from his feats at the court of the princess dowager goes amongst us by the surname of the knight of burgundy i shall not deny my name lord darby replied the knight i am as you say lord darnley but as this has fallen into your knowledge by mere accident i shall hold you bound in honour to forget it nay replied the earl i shall remember it to render you if possible all service but come darnley as by a mistake we began bitter enemies now let us end dear friends i can aid you much you can aid me much and between us both surely we shall be able to break the trammels with which the cardinal enthralls us we will put four young heads against one old one and the world to nothing we shall win there was a frankness in lord darby's manner that it was impossible to resist and taking the hand he tendered him the young adventurer met his offered friendship with equal candour with the openness natural to youth the plans of each were soon told the sooner indeed that their future prospects and endeavours so greatly depended for success upon their sincere co-operation and thus they sauntered back to the house with very different feelings from those with which they had left it before they had arrived at the steps of the door they had run through a thousand details and were as much prepared to act together as if their acquaintance had been of many years duration 
no sooner did the young knight hear that his new friend had not yet been introduced to the king that he at once proposed to be the person to do it offering to call for him in his barge the next day but one and convey him to the court at greenwich where he undertook to procure him a good reception it may be difficult he said to find private audience of those two persons whom we both feel most anxious to meet dame fortune however may befriend us but we must be cautious even to an excess for wolsey has eyes that see where he is not present and ears that hear over half the realm and the first step to make our plan successful depend upon it is to conceal them but lo where sir caesar stands at the window of the hall now in the name of fortune where will he lead us to-night tis strange that there should be men so gifted with rare qualities as to see into the deepest secrets of nature to view things that to others are concealed and yet seemingly to profit little by their knowledge for never did i meet or hear of one of these astrologers that were either happier or more fortunate than other men and yet what were the good to sir caesar to boast a knowledge that he did not possess for he seeks no reward will accept of no recompense and hourly exposes what he says to contradiction if it be not true but doubtless it is true for every day gives proof thereof that man is a riddle which would have gained the sphinx a good dinner off oedipus you seem to know him well but i dare say know no more of him than any one else does for no one that i ever met knows who he is nor where he comes from nor where he goes to and yet he is well received everywhere courted ay and even loved for he is beneficent charitable and humane is rich though it is unknown whence his wealth arises and possesses wonderful knowledge though i fear me wickedly acquired i have heard that those poor wretches who have mastered forbidden secrets often strive to repair by every good deed the evil that their presumptuous curiosity has done to their own souls god knows how it is but come let us join him the information we gain from him at all events is sure entering the manor-house they passed on into the hall where they found sir caesar buried in deep thought and while the young knight proceeded to his own apartments to procure the letter which lady katrine bulmer had entrusted to him the earl of derby approached the old knight with that sort of constitutional gaiety which like a spoiled servant would very often play the master with its lord well sir caesar cried he where are your thoughts roaming in the world above or the world below farther in heaven than you will ever be replied the old man nay then continued the earl as you can tell everything past present and to come could you divine what we were talking of but now in the gardens at first you were talking of what did concern yourselves and afterwards of what did not concern you answered the knight magic my faith cried the earl and in truth you're coming just in the nick of time as folks have it to save us from slicing each other's throats must have a spice of magic in it too if one used magic for so weak a purpose as that of saving an empty head like thine replied the knight it would be worthy the jest with which you treat it fools and children attribute everything to magic that they do not comprehend but however my coming here had none was it not easy for one friend to tell another that he had heard two mad young men name a place to slaughter each other 
they knew not for what but here comes thy companion read thy letter and then come with me for the light is waning and the hour comes on when i can show ye both some part at least of your destiny lord darby eagerly cut the silk which fastened lady katrine's letter and read it with that air of intense earnestness which can never be put on and which would have removed from the mind of sir osborne any doubt of the young earl's feelings even if he had still continued to entertain such this being done they prepared to accompany sir caesar who insisted that not even a page should follow them and accordingly lord darby's attendant was ordered to remain behind and wait his lord's return passing then out into the street they soon found themselves in the most crowded part of the city of london which was at that time of the evening filled with the various classes of mechanics clerks and artists returning to their homes from their diurnal toll gliding through the midst of them sir caesar passed on not in the least heeding the remarks which his diminutive size and singular apparel called forth though lord darby did not seem particularly to relish a promenade through the city with such a companion and very possibly might have left sir osborne to proceed alone if he liked it had not that strong curiosity which we all experience to read into the future carried him on to the end darkness now began to fall upon their path and still the old man led them forward through a thousand dark and intricate turnings till at length in what appeared to be a narrow lane the houses of which approached so closely together that it would have been an easy leap from the windows on one side of the way into those of the other the old knight stopped and struck three strokes with the hilt of his dagger upon a door on the left hand it was opened almost immediately by a tall meagre man holding in his hand a small silver lamp which he applied close to the face of sir caesar before he would permit any one to pass il maestro he cried as soon as he saw the dark small features of the astrologer making him at the same time a profound inclination enter dotissimo benvenuto benvenuto sia sir caesar replied in an undertone and taking the lamp from the italian motioned sir osborne and the earl to follow the staircase up which he conducted them was excessively small narrow and winding bespeaking one of the meanest houses in the city and what still more excited their surprise they mounted nearly forty steps without perceiving any door or outlet whatever except where a blast of cold air through a sort of loophole in the wall announced their proximity to the street at length the astrologers stopped opposite a door only large enough to admit the passage of one person at a time through which he led the way when to the astonishment of both sir osborne and the earl they found themselves in a magnificent oblong apartment nearly forty feet in length and rather more than twenty in breadth on each side were ranged tables and stands covered with various specimens of ancient art which rare in any age were then a thousand times more scarce than they are now although the taking of constantinople about seventy years before by driving many of the greeks among whom elegance and science long lingered into other countries had revived already in some degree the taste for the arts of painting and sculpture still few very few even of the princes of europe could boast such beautiful specimens as those which that chamber contained here stood a statue there an urn on one table was an alabaster capital of exquisite workmanship 
on another a bas-relief whose figures seemed struggling from the stone medals and gems and specimens of curious ores were mingled with the rest and many a book written in strange and unknown characters lay open before their eyes there too were various instruments of curious shape and device whose purpose they could not even guess while here frowned a man in armour there grinned a skeleton and there swathed in its historic bands stood an egyptian mummy resting its mouldering and shapeless head against the feet of a figure in which some long-dead artist had laboured skilfully to display all the exquisite lines of female loveliness to observe all this the two young men had full opportunity while sir caesar proceeded forward stopping between each table and bringing the flame of the lamp he carried in contact with six others which stood upon a row of ancient bronze tripods ranged along the side of the hall at the end of the room hung a large black curtain on each side of which was a clock of very curious manufacture the one showing apparently the year the day the hour and the minute and the other exposing a figure of the zodiac round which moved a multitude of strange hieroglyphic signs some so rapidly that the eye could scarcely distinguish their course some so slow that their motion was hardly to be discerned as sir osborne and lord darby approached sir caesar drew back the curtain and exposed to their sight an immense mirror in which they could clearly distinguish their own figures and that of the astrologer reflected at full length mark said sir caesar and from what you shall see draw your own inference but question me not for i vowed when i received that precious gift which is now before you never to make one comment upon what is displayed mark and when you have seen leave me but i see nothing said sir osborne except my own reflection in the glass patience patience impetuous spirit cried the old man will a hundred lives never teach thee calmness look at the mirror sir osborne turned his eyes to the glass but still nothing new met his view and after gazing for a minute or two he suffered his glance to wander to the clock by his side which now struck eight with a clear sweet musical sound at that moment lord darby laid his hand on his arm god's my life cried he we are vanishing away look look sir osborne turned to the glass and beheld the three figures he had before seen plain and distinctly now growing dimmer and more dim he could scarcely believe his sight and passing his hand before his eyes he strove as it were to cure them of the delusion when he looked again all was gone and the mirror offered nothing but a dark shining blank presently however a confusion of thin and misty figures seemed to pass over the glass and a light appeared to spring up within itself gradually the objects took a more substantial form the interior of the mirror assumed the appearance of a smaller chamber than that which they were in lighted by a lattice window and in the centre was seen a female figure leaning in a pensive attitude on a table sir osborne thought it was like lady katrine bulmer but the light coming from behind cast her features into shadow the moment after however a door of the chamber seemed to open and he could plainly distinguish a figure resembling that of lord darby enter and clasp her in his arms with a semblance of joy so naturally portrayed that it was hardly possible to suppose it unreal 
while he yet gazed the outlines of the figures began to grow confused and indistinct and various ill-defined forms floated over the glass gradually however they again assumed shape and feature the mirror represented a princely hall hung with cloth of gold and a thousand gay and splendid figures ranged themselves round the scene princes and prelates and warriors moved before their eyes as if twas all in life there may be seen the slight significant look the animated gesture the whisper apart the stoop of age the high erect carriage of knight and noble and the graceful motion of youth and beauty by heavens cried lord darby there is the earl of devonshire and the duke of suffolk and the princess mary it is the court of england but no who are all these gradually the crowd opened and two persons appeared whose apparel demeanour and glance bespoke them royal henry himself as i live cried lord darby which which demanded sir osborne the one to the right answered the earl the other i know not it was the other however who advanced leading forward by the hand a knight in whom sir osborne might easily distinguish the, the simulcre of himself the prince whoever he was seemed to speak and a lady came forth from the rest by the graceful motion by the timid look by the rich light brown hair as well as by all a lover's feelings sir osborne could not doubt that it was constance de grey the monarch took her hand placed it in that of the knight the figures grew dim and the glass misty but gradually clearing away it resumed its original effect and reflected the hall in which they were their own forms standing before the mirror and the old man sir caesar sitting on the ground with his hands pressed over his eyes the moment they turned round he started up it is done cried he so now be gone we shall meet again soon and putting his finger to his lip as if requiring silence he led them out of the hall and down the stairs signed them with the cross and left them End of chapter 16